Merry Christmas. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, you know, this week I was talking with some friends about the crazy process of naming your kids uh, when you have kids, which is quite the process. Uh, you're trying to, you know, make it work and agree on something with each other. You want to pick a name that uh, hypothetically your mother-in-law likes, right, or your siblings or whatever. And it's all the more tricky if you're trying to come up with an uncommon name but I always tell people that, listen, you just got to understand every name was uncommon at some point, right? Like at some point in history, some grandma said to her young adult child who was you know, having a baby, honey, I just don't understand why you have to name him Brian. Like, couldn't you come up with a more common name, right? Like, at some point that happened in history. And today, we're going to talk about the naming of Jesus Christ. Did you know that there was a name, there was a title for Jesus that was picked out centuries before he was born? And we want to look at that name as we are continuing uh, Today, this afternoon, this I suppose it's this evening now, uh, in our Names of God series, where we're looking at uh, five different names of God in the Bible. So today, we're actually going to look at one of the names of God from the Christmas story. So what I want everybody to do, would you uh, open a Bible? There's Bibles uh, under the chair in front of you, uh, or if you're in the front row, they're under your chair. And I'd love you to take a look at this story. So we are going to be on uh, page 657, um, so if you want to grab that. Uh, That would be great. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter one. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, um, we would love you to take the Bible you're holding home today as an early Christmas present uh, from us to you. This is a way, especially if you're just kind of checking out church or checking out Christianity, you can take this and begin to explore what it's all about. We would love for you to do that. There's even a little reading guide in the front cover there that'll show you kind of the easiest books to start with. Would love that would be great. Uh, once you've kind of found your spot here, you want to find uh, Matthew chapter one. It's actually the first page of the New Testament. Uh, you find the big number one, the small number eighteen, and that'll get us to uh, verse eighteen. So where we are in history, we're about six or seven months or so before the first Christmas, uh, before the birth of Jesus. So here's what it says, verse eighteen. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, they were just engaged, but in their culture, you actually had to get a divorce if you didn't want to get married and you were engaged. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, while you still have it open, I want to show you something. Look at verse 22. Do you see where it says there, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, and then it has a little quotation. So what, what Matthew is actually doing is he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, who if you were to go backwards in the Bible about 750 years ago, you would find a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah who actually predicted, because God told him, so we would call that prophecy, that 
the Messiah would be born through a virgin. I mean, that's amazing, right? That happened in history. And not only that, if you see verse 23, at the end of verse 23, that's actually part of his prediction too, that we would give him the title Emmanuel, which we did. Now, Emmanuel is a Hebrew word, which is the language of the Israelites, uh, who eventually became the Jews and so on and so forth. El means God, so the end of the world, in, uh, end of the word, word, not the end of the world, uh, El, and Emmanu means with us in Hebrew, so we get with us God, or we would say God with us. By the way, sometimes you see this name uh, spelled with an E, like you know the Christmas song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, right? There you see it spelled with an E, that's just the, basically the Greek spelling of the word, so same word, no need to fret about that, but it's an amazing truth, the idea that God is with us. In fact, I, get to, I think it gets even more amazing as we unwrap more of this truth on this Christmas weekend. In fact, what I want to do is I want to look at three amazing truths about Emmanuel. So here's the first one I want you to see. Number one, the galaxy creator, so that is God, came to be with us. Emmanuel. I mean, it's really pretty mind-blowing if you think about it. Let's just go backwards a little bit. Let's talk about what Christmas is all about, uh, Charlie Brown. Because sometimes I think in the Christmas season, right, we can get distracted and Christmas can become about Rudolph, who's amazing, right, or, or Santa Claus or Christmas trees, or even about peace on earth or time with your family. But at its core, Christmas is about the fact that the creator of the universe came to our planet and became a human being. Now, I know it's like you're used to it and you maybe heard it before, but that's crazy, right? That's amazing. That happened. That is Emmanuel. And really, if you step back and think about it, I just, I'm just blown away by it. Like the creator of galaxies, the one who created galaxies with his, like Milky Way, right? With his words, came to our planet. The God who could just end the Milky Way with a snap of his fingers if he wanted to at Christmas is now wrapped up tight in swaddling clothes. Isn't that just unreal? It's just, it's, it's crazy to even process through. And let me help you try and think through it a little bit. So think of like some really famous people in history. Let's just go with musicians for the sake of argument. If you go back in time, Let's go back to the 1950s. Do you know how crazy people were for Elvis back in the day? Like, okay, this is a picture of Elvis. Elvis has just got on stage. I love the girl in the middle. You know like the emoji where like the brain is coming out of the, the mind? I feel like her brain is exploding in that moment. Uh, she actually died, man, it's not, that's not true. Okay, if you go ahead a decade or so, you have the Beatles, right, in Beatlemania. Here's a picture of this. Here's a bunch of teenagers about to literally topple over at the police because they're so excited about the Beatles. If you go to the 1980s, of course, people were crazy about Michael Jackson, right? I just, I love this photo because of all the random white gloves in the photo. <laughs> if you know, you know, right? Okay, and then some of you will know this. If you get to the late 90s, right, there's a lot of passion about is it Backstreet Boys or NSYNC? which clearly it's Backstreet Boys. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, I don't know, it's a toss up, right? Uh, <laughs> or even today, right, people still go crazy about Taylor Swift. Did you see in the news that uh, Taylor Swift actually had all 10 of the top 10 songs uh, a week and a half ago on the Billboard charts? You know, that's absolutely amazing, right? Now you think about these famous musicians, whatever one that you maybe resonate with, 
And just think about how otherworldly they seem to us. And yet you look at somebody like Taylor Swift and as personable as Taylor Swift is gonna try and appear to be, I mean, is Taylor Swift actually going to come and live among commoners like us? Like, can you imagine Taylor Swift moving to Ham Lake, right? No offense to Ham Lake, right? You just can't. Can you imagine Taylor Swift eating a butter burger at the Blaine Culver's? Just, she's missing out in my opinion, right? But you just can't. Can you imagine Taylor Swift joining you for Christmas tomorrow at your family gathering and enjoying grandma's tater tot hot dish, right? It's just sort of a preposterous thought experiment to think about someone like that coming down to our level to be with us. But listen, I assure you, the fact that the galaxy creator God came to be with us is actually 10 trillion times crazier than that. And yet it happened. And God came. Emmanuel, he is with us. That's the first amazing truth I want you to understand. Just how preposterously wonderful it is the fact that he even came. But I think it's even richer and deeper than that. Here's the second truth I want you to see. That God was with us, and because he was with us, he deeply understands us. So when we hear this name Emmanuel, I think for a lot of us, We just kind of just think of Jesus as a baby, but actually the name is much deeper than that because Jesus grew up, right? And part of what is embedded in the name Emmanuel is not only that God came to us, but that he was here. He was with us. The king of kings walked upon the dirt of our earth. And one of the reasons that he did so was so that you could know that he knows what it's like to walk in your shoes. And so if you're here this evening, and part of the stress of your life is wondering how in the world you're gonna pay the bills next month, I want you to understand that Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, the Bible says some nights he didn't even know where he would lay his head. Okay, if, if you're here and you are struggling through the loss of a loved one and the grief over this past year, I want you to know that the Bible says, John chapter 11, that Jesus wept over the loss of his friend. If you are struggling with sin You're struggling with temptation. I want you to know that Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He was tempted by the devil himself. If you had a friend betray you in this last year, Jesus was betrayed by a friend. All of these things happen. He knows what it's like to be one of us. You know, I think about this sometimes in parenting, you know, especially as my upper elementary kids get closer and closer to uh, middle school, which is lovely, right? Uh, I think... One of the more surprising things to me as a parent is how much I personally remember about being a middle school student. Okay, so I brought a picture for you. This is me uh, in fifth grade. Uh, There I am. Uh, That's actually me at the uh, fifth grade of regional inventors fair. Thank you very much. Uh, That's my invention, the ocean motion chair, which was like, you know, like those inner tubes that toddlers have, they blow up or whatever. I put water in it and then put some fabric on it, and then if you need to sit like on a hard chair, you'd have like a portable water chair. You know like what I'm, just, no. (laughs) Well, apparently the judges felt the same way. I got smoked by a bunch of fifth graders making robots and stuff like that. It just didn't go well. By the way, I love if you, Oh, actually, you can't really see it in this picture, but in the, in the background, that's B. Dalton Bookstore. It's just what an incredible throwback back in the day. 1993, I think it says on the bottom of the sign. 
But here's what I can remember looking back at this picture. I remember being in about fifth grade, you know, maybe even sixth or seventh grade, and looking at my parents and thinking, there is no way that they understand what it's like to be a middle schooler. Like when they were, you're just looking at your parents and going, they are just so old. I mean, did they even have cars when they were in middle school, right? And you're just thinking, there's no way that they remember. And now, as I'm a parent, I'm looking back at them and going, yeah, they, they, of course they remembered. Of course they knew. And the thing is, I think what the word of God is teaching us is that Emmanuel, God, he knows too. He was here. Okay, he walked in your shoes. He faced what you faced. He came to be with us and he understands. Would you trust him? Would you trust him with more of your life today? And here's where I think it starts to come together in a, in a beautiful way. This is the third point I want you to see about Emmanuel, that God can actually be with you right now. I mean, how badly do we need this truth in America right now? Even all around the world, I think for many of us, these last few years have been the most isolated and lonely that we've ever felt. And yet I want you to hear the truth of the word of, of, the word of God today. God is Emmanuel. He is God with us. God is in this room right now. Whatever is going on in your life right now, God is with us right now. He is here. He is Emmanuel. And I think the more that you begin to read this book, and never you, maybe you've never read it before, maybe you just need to take it and actually read it yourself, but the more you dig into it, the more this just gets surprisingly beautiful when you understand what it means that God is with you. See, because it's not just that he wants to be with us, it's that he actually wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to know him. I mean, the fact that the galaxy creator came to our earth is proof that he actually wants you to know him. But I think for some of us here, there's an obstacle here, and it's because we're not thinking of God correctly. I think for some of us, we look at God and we say, he is big, he was holy, he's just, and I, I'm kind of messy. And some of you people know that about your life, and for others of you, your life is messy, but nobody knows that about your life except maybe for you. But I think that for a lot of us, there's this tendency to look up to God and say, he is big, he is other, he is holy, and I'm kind of messy, so I don't see how we could know each other. And yet the Bible says that's not true. In fact, one of the most beautiful things was embedded in our Christmas story passage. A ton of people miss this when they read it. In fact, I want to show it to you. If you have the Bible open, uh, look at this. If you don't open it up again, actually, this is worth looking at. So we were on page 657. Matthew chapter one, and I want to show you what verse 21 says. This is beautiful. Verse 21, we're kind of in the middle of the story. We're talking about names. We know Emmanuel, but then we get a little bit more about this name Jesus. You maybe know the name Jesus, but what does the name Jesus even mean? Did you catch that? So verse, verse 21, it says, she, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now you see there's a little letter there for a footnote. If you actually go down to the bottom of the page, it will tell you that the name Jesus means the Lord saves. Okay, so let's read that back into it. So it says, and she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name the Lord saves. Because, so here's the connection to that name. Because he will save his people from their sins. So this is beautiful. God came to earth, why? Not just for the fun of it, to save 
his people from their sins. And sometimes I think people get this wrong about God. We talk about God like he's just up there, he's in heaven on his throne, he's detached, he's kind of removed. But what the Bible actually says is God is not like that at all. In fact, he came to earth as the son of God, Jesus, as a baby. And Jesus grew up, right? And he walked in our shoes. And when he was a man, he taught and he healed and he loved. And the world repaid him, how? By crucifying him on the cross. But his death is part of the plan. His death is not purposeless, it's purposeful. Jesus Christ dies on the cross, why? It's one of the great questions of life, why? Well, because he's dying actually for our sins, to save us. He's taking your sins, my sins, upon himself on the cross to save us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 5.8, I'll put it on the screen for you, it says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, right, in the, in the David n- n- New 2022 translation, that just means while we were still messy, okay? So before you got your life together and got all holy, God already loved you, so much so that he sent his son Jesus. Christ died for us. Christ died for us. That means he took the punishment on the cross for your sins to save you from the just punishment that you deserve. Remember, what what does his name mean? The Lord saves. So he came, he's dying on the cross to save you and he did it because he loves you. Let me tell you a story. Um, It's a remarkable story uh, really from Dr. Maxwell Maltz who he tells a story, a true story of a man who uh, once went into a burning house to try and unsuccessfully, unfortunately, save his parents. And he gets out of the burning house, but his parents have died. And for a long time, he lives with the pain of that and with the guilt of that, so much so that he refuses to let anyone near him. He refuses to let anyone even see him, not even his wife. Well, as time goes by, obviously his wife is dejected about this, so eventually she reaches out to a plastic surgeon. And as she's just beginning to tell a story, the plastic surgeon interrupts her and says, you know, it's fine, uh, don't you worry, I can restore his face. And the wife says, it's never gonna work. He, he, we've talked about this, he'll never allow it. It's just too much shame, too much guilt. But then she surprised the plastic surgeon and she said, and so what I want you to do is I want you to disfigure my face so I can be like him. And then she said, if I can share in his pain, maybe he'll let me back into his life. Now, of course, the plastic surgeon refused, right? But he was so moved by this woman that he ends his shift, he drives to their house. The woman's not home. The husband comes to the door. He doesn't open the door, but he's listening through the door. And the plastic surgeon begins to say, let me tell you what your wife just said to me. Let me, let me explain to you the links that she was willing to go through to be in relationship with you again. And as he does so, the man, the husband, begins to slowly open the door and open his heart again. And today, what I want more than anything It's for every person in this room to understand the great links that God was willing to go through to be with you. That he came to earth 
for you. He did. He came and he took on our face. He took on our flesh. He suffered disfigurement for you on the cross, all to be with you. And if you would believe in him, if you would just open your door to that truth, then he would come in and he would save you from your sins. The Bible says it this way in Romans chapter 10, verse nine. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that is he is the leader of your life, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. He dies on the cross, three days later he raises from the dead. You will be saved. But the thing is, hear me on this, you cannot be saved from hell. That's what it's referring to, right? As much as we don't like to say that, that's what it's talking about. You cannot be saved from hell. You will not go to heaven just by being a good person. That's the classic, great American misconception that I will go to heaven as long as I don't kill anybody and I'm a decent person. But I just want you to think about this intellectually, right? If you could get to heaven just by generally being a good person, then why in the world would God allow his own son to be crucified on a cross? If you could just get in another way. The only way we can be saved is by putting our faith in the truth that Jesus Christ took our sins upon himself on the cross. And then our sins are removed from us and they're put onto Jesus but it all just starts in your heart. It starts with you saying, God, I believe this. I believe that I don't have to get my life together first. It's just by me putting my faith, my trust in you, by making you my leader, my savior. God, I wanna turn from my life. I wanna turn it over to you. That's the faith that we're talking about. I think of it this way. It's sort of like just saying, God, I believe that you died for me, and so here here are the keys to my life, okay? If that's true, if, if you, the galaxy maker, came to earth, looked at all my sin and said, I will disfigure myself and die in their place so we can be together, if that's who you really are, then seriously take my life. You drive. You lead my life. That's what faith is, okay? It's a step of faith. And I just want to tell you something, because I think there are a couple of you in the room, you just need to hear this today, that if you make that decision, and you truly mean it, and you truly walk it out. I don't just mean like you pray a prayer, you make a commitment, and then you go on with your life. I mean like you you make him your savior and your leader, and you walk it out and you follow him every day. If you do that, let me actually promise you something. Okay, and and I can make you this promise because people literally make this decision to trust in Jesus for the first time at our church every single week. If you make that decision and you walk it out, our God will do so much in your life that in six months, just six months from now, you won't even recognize yourself. That's how much he can change your life. If you trust, you believe, and you walk it out. Now for some of you, step one is just to take a Bible today, or for some of you, it's just to keep coming, exploring what this Christian faith actually is really about. Maybe this is a different type of church for you, where we're reading the Bible and learning who he is, but there are some of you in this room where you just need to grab the keys and just trust him today. Hand him over, okay? And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that this evening. So let's just, for a moment, let's have everybody in the room, would you just actually close your eyes and maybe even bow your head? If you need to make that decision tonight to give your life over to Emmanuel, to trust that he really did come and take your sins upon him, and by your faith to let your sins transfer from you to him, to be wiped clean, to have that eternal life of heaven given to you. 
If you are ready to give your life over to him and believe in that for the first time, I actually want you to respond this morning. And the only reason I say that is sometimes we just need that cross the line type of moment in our lives. The I'm holding up the keys sort of moment. And if that's you and God has just been talking to you all night on this, what I want you to do in just a minute is just to raise your hand up to him. You know, that is a symbolic way to just say, God, it's me, I believe in faith. Would you take my life? Would you forgive me, God? So if you need to do that, you just picture the keys in your hand. If you need to do that to trust in him, no one's looking at you. Guess what, everybody close their eyes. But if you just need to tell him for the first time, God, I believe that you came for me. I want you to be my savior and leader. Would you just, right now, would you just raise your hand up to him and say, God, it's me, forgive me, I wanna follow you. If that's you, would you raise your hand up in the air? Go ahead. Anyone here, you just need that forgiveness from God. You need to make that decision to become his follower here at this Christmas service. I'll give you another five or 10 seconds if it's just on your heart or you're on the fence. God is so good, I just encourage you to trust him. Anyone here? All right, you can, you can open your eyes. I've not seen anyone in this particular service and that's okay. I always tell people, listen, there is nothing special about doing it in a church service. Uh, if you're kind of on the fence, investigate further, keep reading the Bible, or even let me tell you this. I just had someone tell me this the other week again. They were saying, listen, I I heard what you said and I got home later that night and I just got by my bed and I just said, God, I need this and I wanna invite you into my life. You can do that. You could do it driving by quick trip on the way out of here, okay? There's nothing, that's quick trips just as holy as the church. We, We do this in the American church where we make these sacred spaces, right? If God is with us, God can meet you by the slushy machine just like he can meet you sitting in your seat here, okay? So at any time, you can make this decision. So I urge you to do it. I urge you to do it. That's why he came. That's why we celebrate at Christmas, okay? All right, let me pray. God, we thank you so much uh, just for what you're, what you're doing uh, in our church. We thank you, Father, for the fact that you came, the fact that you saw our sin, our hatred, our wars, all the things that are broken on our earth, but you came, and you walked in our shoes, and you gave your life for us. We were just in awe of it, Emmanuel, and we just wanna praise you and worship you now. It's in your name we pray, amen.